0: Hey ladies, how you doing out there, you gangsters and you senior citizens of the world? I just want to let you know that I'm here. I'm starting my new podcast with Anchor. It's free, so I thought, why not give it a try? There's creation tools there that allow you to edit your own podcast right from your phone or computer. And Anchor will distribute my podcast, so it will be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many, many more. You can also make money from your own podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place, at home, during the coronavirus epidemic. This is where we're going to be. So, it's a mandatory call to action that we... Take anchor. First, I would like to welcome King James Baldwin and Your Royal Highness Emperor Malcolm X. Western Hemisphere. We give our
1: views, we don't give them as a civic group, we don't give them as a political group, but we give them primarily as a religious group and any solution that we support, we absolutely uh, feel that it's a religious solution rather than a political solution. One of the the reasons that the Honorable Elijah Muhammad uh, in teaching us here in America uh, is giving us a solution that differs drastically from the sit-in movement. He's trying to make us men, now, the very
0: fact that you find students all over the world today are standing
1: up for their rights and fighting for their rights. But here in America, the so-called Negro students have allowed themselves to be maneuvered under a tag uh, of sit-in. Actually, I guess it describes, it. the name describes its nature. It's a passive thing. And uh, if their goal is uh, integration, it's not a worthwhile one. But if their goal is freedom, justice, and equality, then that's a worthwhile goal. If integration is going to give the black people in America complete freedom, complete justice, and complete equality, then it's a worthwhile goal. So holding this integration uh, uh, bottle, dangling it in front of the Negroes in America today, has actually uh, disabled them or it has uh, nullified their ability to stand up and fight like a man for something that is theirs by right rather than to just sit around and beg and wait for uh, the white man to make up his mind that they're worthy to have this type thing. I think that this is, in my opinion, why we are disagree with the uh, sit-in movement. If uh, they are willing to wait for another 100 years for the white man to change his mind to accept them as a human being, then they're wrong. Uh, but if they're willing to lay down their life tonight or in the morning in order that we can have what is ours by right tonight or in the morning, then it's a good move. But as long as they're willing to wait for the white man to make up his mind that they are qualified to be respected as human beings, then I'm afraid that all of their uh, waiting and their planning is for naught. Uh, as Thurgood Marshall said on New Year's Eve, Uh, The Supreme Court brought about the desegregation decision, I think uh, six or seven years ago, and there is only 6% desegregation in America right now. We don't call uh, two students, black students, going to the University of Georgia integration, nor do we call call, uh, four children, black children, going to school in New Orleans integration. Or do we call a handful of black students going to school in Little Rock integration? If every black man in the state of Arkansas can't go to any school he wants, that's not integration. And if every black child in the state of Louisiana cannot go to any school that they are qualified for in the morning, then that's not integration. And likewise with Georgia and any other state in America. There's no integration with us until the entire thing is given, is laid on the table, not 100 years from now, but in the morning, and at the rate that the NAACP, CORE, and uh, uh, the Urban League, is uh, willing to accept the change that's in to the white man's mind, we who are Muslims feel we'll be sitting around here in America for another thousand years, uh, not waiting for civil rights or something like that, but even waiting to be uh, granted a right to... That, um... many words around, i floating around this table
2: um, redefined. And that, by the way, is the problem I think we're facing this, facing this entire country. I don't agree with Mr. X about the sit-in movement. I do know something about the war, in the incipient war between the students and some of the leaders. I know, I know the gap, the enormous gap between the NAACP and the children in the South. I don't agree that the sit-in, you know, I don't agree that it is necessarily passive. I think it demands a tremendous amount of power in one's, in one's personal life and, and, and in terms of political, political activity. Sometimes to, to to sit down and do nothing, or seem to do nothing. But finally, when the Syrian when movement started, or when a great many things started in the, in, the, in the Western world, it was not, I don't think, I think it had a great deal less to do with equality than it had to do with power. And I do think we have to talk about, we have to decide what we want, you know, now, what has happened in the world in relation to black people is not the white people who have suddenly changed and become more uh, more conscious of, of a black man's humanity. It's, what has happened is very simple. It's the white power has been broken. And, and this means, among other things, that it is no longer possible for an Englishman to describe an African and make the African believe it. It is no longer possible for a white man in this country to tell a Negro who he is and make a Negro believe this. The controlling image is absolutely gone. Now it seems to me the responsibility which faces us, then the question which faces us, which faces me in any case, is, since there is a distinction between power and equality, there is a distinction between power and freedom. And I know that in terms, for example, of of Africa, that an African nation cannot expect to be respected unless it is free. I know that unless unless it has its political destiny in its own hands, which is what we mean by power, there is no hope that the English will deal with an African nation on... We will deal with an African nation as a, sub- as a subjugated nation as long as it is in fact subjugated. That is not quite the same situation that we face here in America as American Negroes. I can see that I might very well, for one reason or another, leave this country tomorrow and never come back. But this will not make me, this will not cease, I will not cease to be an American Negro for this reason. And the history of our, our history in this country is something that I think we have to face, especially since we demanding that white people face it. And whether I like it or not, whether you like it or not. This issue about integration is a false issue because we have been integrated here ever since we got here. I am no longer a pure African. There are no pure Africans in this country. The history which has produced us is something which in any case we gonna have to deal with one of these days. But I think it is a mistake to pretend this issue did not happen. What we are arguing about, I think, one of the things in any case I think I would be arguing about is the effect of this on the Negro world and the great divisions in it, so that so that it does in fact range from people who imagine they are white, you know, who never talk to Negroes, to people who imagine that if they can make a buck, they will somehow beat the system, to homeless and and demoralized black boys and girls who have no where to, don't know where to go. The issue, it seems to me, the reason that the civil is important, the reason that this whole ferment is of such importance, is not that I want anybody's cup of coffee or even though, particularly to anybody's school. It is because the country cannot afford, the country cannot afford to have as it has at this moment, millions of black boys and girls in various girls all over the country, either perishing literally or perishing, I must say finally with bitter, the kind of demoralization and bitterness and hatred, which can, after all, blow this country wide apart. The importance in my mind of the Muslim movement in conclusion, is that it is the first time, I think, in the history of this country that uh, a Negro audience, a, a, a Negro laborer, a Negro, a Negro schoolboy has heard his own condition described without anybody trying to flinch from it. It is really hear a hearing speech by Roy Wilkins in which, you know, um, one is told in one way or another that tomorrow will be better. Uh, and I think this has a tremendous effect reason the reason Muslim, I think the Muslim speaker has so much power over will it comes out of a failure in the Republic. This country has lied about the Negro situation for 100 years. And now, what has happened, the lives are no longer viable, and no longer be, can, can no longer be accepted even when they, can, they get told. old. And the country has waited so long that does not know how to handle this. And it's created a moral vacuum. There's a moral vacuum in, in the, the Negro ghetto and the saying there's a moral vacuum in New Orleans, which is filled... Desperate
1: people, I don't think we can afford this. Excuse me, and now I speak for
2: myself. My problem is the official legal leadership. My fault is, um, such people who imagine they are, um, integrated, or imagine they somehow escape the growth of If They are not willing to do what I think is absolutely essential until we examine the basis, the standards of this country which not only afflict black people, they afflict the entire country. No one in this country, as far as I can see, really knows any longer what it means to be, to be an American. He, he does not know what he means by freedom. He does not know what he means by equality. He's living the most abysmal ignorance of not only the condition of trying to Negroes in our midst, but the, of the whole nature of the life being lived in the rest of the world. And I think that the American, the American right now, the Republic, is paying, is beginning to pay, for his treatment as Negro, in terms of what he does not know about the rest of the world, you cannot live. It seems to me, in a, you cannot live a thirty years. let's say, with something in your closet which you know is there and pretend it is not there, without something terrible happening to you. By and by, what you, what I cannot say, is I know that any one of you, you no, know, has um, murdered your brother, your mother, and the court is in this room under the table. And I know it, and you know it, and you know I know it. And we cannot talk about it. It takes no time at all before we cannot talk about anything. Before absolute silence descends. And that kind of silence descended on this country. I think that this country has become a, almost inconceivably radical. It has really got to do something that's not done before. And this involves humanity and everybody in it. And the key to this is the Negro. If one can face that, one can face anything. But that has not been faced. I think this is the reason for the confusion and the ferment, and the great, great danger. Again, let me say this, and I will stop, I'm not religious. Um, and therefore, since I'm not religious, all theologies, uh, for me are suspect, all theologies have a certain use. But um, I never, for example, believed in the myth of the virgin birth, I never quite understood why it was necessary to propagate such a peculiar notion. Therefore, you know, as the theologies go, even the Muslim theology is just as good as any. When you're not with it there. I can't, anyway. But I personally, I personally reject that theology that I reject all others. And I don't think that we need it. Now, this is a great, this is a gamble. This is a very reckless thing to say. And perhaps, you know, I'm, perhaps it's very mystical. I know the kind of world I'd like to see i would like to think of myself as i'm needing to be um um supported by am this i would like to think of myself being able to face whatever it is i have to face as me dealing with what i have and what, and what there is without having my identity dependent on something which finally has to be believed which cannot be tested this is why one is converted to a religion I think that it, there's no great dangerous in it. What I would like to see, and maybe we'll never live to see it, is a world in which these things are not necessary, which I will not need to invent, in effect, a heritage and a history that can deal with the one I have. and will not need, in order, to, in order to deal with the rest of the world, not need to feel superior to them, but simply, simply be a part of them. And it seems to me this may happen, but I'd love to see a world where there are no blacks, there are no whites, where it does not matter. Because as long as it does
1: matter, as long as it does matter, and it doesn't matter who is wearing the shoe, the confusion will be great and the bloodshed will be great. Well, I, uh, as a black man, and proud of being a black man, I, I can't conceive of myself as having any desire whatsoever to lose my identity. I wouldn't want to live in a world uh, where none of my time existed. I, and I do think that the Negro Americans and Americans on earth, who would be willing to lose his identity in a, what you might call a, a new product. Uh, this, I heard one fellow say one day that, that there eventually intermarriage and intermixing would take place on such a vast scale that it would produce a chocolate-colored race. And, I, and Martin Luther King was in a uh, discussion, televised discussion with a white uh, newspaper man. I saw it on the television a couple months ago. This white newspaper man put this to him. Uh, He said, he pointed out that he's proud of his white race. He's proud of what he is. He's proud of his racial characteristics uh, to the extent where he has no desire to lose it by mixing with any other race. And the thing that he said he couldn't understand was why the so-called Negroes don't have the same uh, racial pride that whites have in trying to retain their characteristics and Martin Luther King never answered them, although he should have answered it. uh I think that it is uh that is disastrous for the black people in America to reach the point where they their race pride, racial pride uh disappears and they don't want they don't care whether their blood is mixed up with someone else's I think that also one of the things that It brings us about as the honorable Elijah Muhammad teaches us. The very fact that you have to refer to the black man in America as a Negro shows you that right there something is wrong. An African doesn't accept this term Negro and uh, you find they teach us in the educational system of this country that Negro is a Spanish word that's supposed to mean black. Uh, Yet when you find the uh black people who live in spanish-speaking countries of south and central america they don't accept the word negro to identify themselves uh no one allows himself to be classified <laughs> under the word negro but the black man here in america who is a descendant of the slaves and very seldom is it ever applied to anybody but the black men in here here in america who is the descendant of the slaves when you ask a man his identity he should use a, a word that connects him with a with a culture, If you ask him his nationality, it should connect him with with a nation. Like if I ask a man his nationality and he says German, that connects him with Germany. Or if he says, uh, even if he says German-American, it still connects him with uh, having originated, his family, his history uh, has originated in Germany. If he says he's French-American, it connects him uh, with France, but when you ask the black man in America, and he tells you Negro, he doesn't put any other, he doesn't, he doesn't put any other country up uh, front, uh, in, uh, in front, he puts American Negro, or he'll just say Negro, this doesn't identify him, and usually when you find a man who calls himself a Negro, he can't tell you what language that he spoke before he came to this country, it's of no consequence, no interest, he believes that Prior to coming here, he was a savage in the jungle, and therefore he had no language. And this justifies his uh, lack of nuts concerning that mother tongue today. And the history, as uh, Mr. Baldwin pointed out, of the white man here in America and the black man here in America, points up the fact that the Negro, or the man here who called himself a Negro, is just an ex-slave. If he is an ex-slave, I'd rather say he's still a slave. But he's wearing his slave master's name, the name that was given to him during slavery, He's speaking the language of the man who made him a slave, because he has no knowledge of his own tongue. He only knows the history, his own history, as taught to him by his former slave master, who purposely hid from him his uh, his own history to make him think that he was an inferior being before being brought here. And uh, Mr. Muhammad teaches us that until the black man here in America is... Uh, connected, or reestablished, uh, or given, uh, given some knowledge of his existence prior to coming here to America, he, his own uh, appraisal of himself will be so low that he'll actually think that the white man is doing him a favor to let him be here in America, no matter what his status is. And he also, and this is one of the reasons today, why he fights so hard, some of them to sit down next to the white man. They actually think that the white man is the perf- personification of perfection. And whenever they're allowed to go live in his neighborhood or sit in his restaurant or uh, uh, mingle or socialize with him, that they have attained, that they have made progress. But uh, when they go back and study the history of their own people and the accomplishments of their own people, the civilizations and cultures, black civilizations and black cultures that existed in Africa at a time when the whites in Europe were living a uh, uh, cave-like existence, then immediately their appraisal of their self of themselves uh, begins to uh, go higher, and they don't think that to beg uh, 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 somebody to uh, mingle with them in this country is any kind of progress whatsoever. And I would like to say one more thing too on that nonviolent thing: that the black man in America is the only one who is encouraged to be nonviolent, or the black man in Africa, or the black man in Asia. Uh, never do you find white people encouraging other whites to be nonviolent. Uh, whites uh, idolize fighters. They idolize the Hungarian freedom fighters who came to this country and uh, right now can work on jobs that the sit-in students can't get, can live in neighborhoods that the sit-in students can't live in, and can go into public places that the students sit-ins can't go, because they are fighters. Everyone loves a fighter. They respect the fighter. And, but at the same time that they admire these fighters, They encouraged the so-called Negro in America to get his uh, uh, desires fulfilled with a sit-in stroke or a passive approach or a love your enemy uh, approach or pray for those who despitefully use you. This is insane. And we feel as Muslims until we see white people practicing this nonviolence. Take Pearl Harbor. When the Japanese uh, attacked Pearl Harbor, the American white man didn't say, Pray for the Japanese and uh, let them now bomb Manhattan or uh, Staten Island. No. They said, praise the Lord, but pass the ammunition. But uh, And if anybody comes along, like Mr. Muhammad, and begins to point out uncompromisingly in blunt terms that don't need interpret diplomatic language, that can be misinterpreted, and he begins to point out these atrocities and crimes that have been committed against black people here in America today, the white man can never deny the fact that he's guilty, but he'll always say, well, forget the past, and let's look forward. But uh, uh, the only people who are told to forget the injustices that have been done to them are the But when it comes to whites, right, today, you can turn on any radio, turn on any television, read any newspaper, and the uh, the Jews have magnified to the world the crimes that were committed against them 20 years ago or so by Eichmann. Uh, And they keep you sitting on the edge of your seat wanting to strangle Eichmann. It's almost like a hate Germany uh, campaign. But yet the Jews are never accused of teaching hate because they remind of the world, remind the world of the crimes that were committed against them. But when the black man here in America begins to stand up and speak about the crimes that are committed against him throughout America, every day, no letter, just different forms, immediately a black man who dwells on that is considered a racist, considered an extremist, or considered someone who is advocating a doctrine that'll bring about violence and bring about a deterioration in the so-called good relations that are supposed to be developing between black and white in this country country, so we just can't go along with any of that, and I think that this is the thing that the white people of America should realize, that Mr. Muhammad's teaching, that it's spreading, so you have to deal with it. Mr. Muhammad's teaching doesn't teach the black man to wait for the white man to change his mind. Mr. Muhammad's teaching is changing the the black man's appraisal of himself, and as soon as the black man uh undergoes a reappraisal of himself and realizes that he's a man too he says to himself why should he wait for the supreme court to give him what a white man has when he's born why should he wait for the congress or the senate or the president to tell him that he should have this when if he's a man the same as that man is a man he doesn't need any president he doesn't need any congress he doesn't need any supreme court he doesn't need anybody but himself to bring about this which is his if he is a man i think really, i think in the first place there's some um disagreement between Mr.
2: Mr. Malcolm X and myself as to what this heritage is. And I want to go back to that in a minute. Something else at the moment is bothers me. I think there's a great deal, there's a lot of, there's not much clarity in this question of violence from my point of view, from where I sit. Whether, whether or not, um, no matter what Mr. X wants, no matter what I want, I believe, for example, that one of these days, maybe tomorrow, Birmingham out, will
1: probably blow up. And if Birmingham
0: blows up okay that's part one of the debate between Malcolm X and James Baldwin I would interject my own comments but I think I need to hear the entire debate before I say what I have to say so that's part one stay tuned for part two